You're listening to the New Century Multiverse. Secret Rooms. Definitive Edition. Chapter 16. Within. From the journals of Grey and Penrose. Weirwood. Nine years ago. James. September had come to 1873. The later part of the summer had been quite different following the night of Abigail's attempted exodus. She and Lucy and I did become friends again, but there was an uneasiness which had not been there before. The silences were no longer comfortable, and one of us would invariably try to fill them. The issue of romantic entanglement was never broached, and once again I found myself studying two faces that were not so much unreadable as layered with conflicting information. Thus my old companion Logic, who had served me so well as I navigated my way through life, found himself toothless here, unable to catch hold of the most relevant information. All we knew was that we wanted to be close to one another, dreaded what felt now like an inevitable parting. And yet, at least to me, that eventuality felt in part like a merciful reprieve. This was a feeling I was unaccustomed to, and my daily discomfort somehow never took on the mundanity of the rest of the real-life horrors we would endure. It was, however, lunacy, as far as I was concerned, for Catherine Holloway to assemble a group of young people, many in the grip of adolescence, and expect none of them to form intense relationships. I watched for other examples and began seeing our housemates pair off in unions of their own. There were, of course, ends to these, accompanied with much tears and recrimination, and gossip as to who might bear affection for whom became a currency of sorts. Over time this brought a measure of comfort to the three of us. What we had been through, what we were still going through, must surely be normal, average, even tedious to adults. Slowly but surely we began to laugh again. But what had changed was that inseparability. The three of us paired off frequently, leaving the one who remained, to busy themselves in some other fashion. It was in many ways an unspoken agreement, but one that I kept wishing I could address. The crunch came when I walked into the library to find Lucy and Abigail very close to one another. They broke apart, red-faced in a way that I recognised from that night under the cherry tree. My stomach tightened up again, but in a different way now, and I had to steady myself as they hurried from the room. I picked up a book and sat down in a comfortable chair. The long, long hours of my time at Weirwood now stretched out behind me as far as I could see, but before me exponentially further. I did not even know what I was reading as I stared at the printed pages, turning them every so often, out of dogged persistence. This was fair, surely. Why could I simply not be happy that the two of them had attained a closeness and intimacy that might repair the damage done? These possessive, jealous thoughts felt so childish and self-gratifying. Surely I was above this. I read through the entirety of what turned out to be a tale of two cities that afternoon and evening, and to this day I do not recall a single word of it. Abigail In a world of confusion, 
Lucy was my guide and light. That summer brought feelings out of me I wasn't ready to share with anyone. But she had a way of presenting a simple, honest truth. Permit me an overly florid and dreamlike metaphor here. I'm not used to making them, and it ain't my forte, but there's really no better way to describe what I was going through. Besides which, I dreamed it, which makes it mine. I saw myself in an art gallery. The pictures on the walls were on fire. I couldn't see what was burning, and I knew that if I stood still, the world would crumble to ash around me. But then she came walking through, accompanied by a cool mist, and those flames just guttered out, even receded, leaving the pictures clear and unharmed. And as she stood in front of me, smiling, I took her in my arms. That was the dream I'd had the morning I woke up and punched Doris Cooper, anyhow. I knew I'd dreamed of James, too, but he was always out of reach. And when I stepped towards him, he stepped away. Lucy, I felt I could get close to. But what I'm talking about wasn't a done thing. Two girls together, I'd neither read nor heard anything about it. I just knew that from what my heart was telling me, it was possible. I'd known it for months. I simply hadn't accepted it. And now my sleeping brain was giving me a little stage plays to consider, like I didn't have enough to worry about. So when I saw Lucy with James that night, after spending the day helping Catherine mend clothes until my fingers were sore, that dream of mine just about burned up to a crisp on the spot. I stayed for the practical reasons Catherine had given, but I knew part of me was already up and over that wall that she would be running through that endless forest and through those hills out there until I finally went back home again. I may not express it often verbally, but I know some things about myself for sure. And then there was James. That young gentleman made my heart race too, and had Lucy kissed some other bozo boy, it wouldn't even have hurt half as much. But she chose to consort with him, and there was no change in that. So we patched things up over time and spent fractured hours in one another's company. And as the weeks drew on, I began to open up. I dreamed of Lucy again, and I looked through every book in the library that might help me understand how two women could feel the way a man and woman could. I found precedents of two gals in Plymouth Colony who lay together, but were found out in 1649. Their punishment had been a publicly humiliating warning to others about their unchaste behavior. In all honesty, that didn't seem like too harsh of a penalty to risk. People would think ill of me, but people already did. Frankly, at the moment, they were all a little afraid of me for what I did to Doris. But this was one of the reasons I started spending a lot more time with Nathan, especially when James and Lucy were together. He was a lot smarter than the kids our age, but the fellow was also grumpy which put the two of us in good company. He taught me how to pot plants and how to maintain them. I asked about what happened to his family one time only, and the response I got warned me to keep things from getting too personal. That was fine. I needed someone to be around without intensity. Then that afternoon in the library, she asked what was bugging me, and I told her I needed a dream explaining 
This was a pretty bold move on my part, as I figured the symbolism was fairly obvious, even for a fourteen-year-old. She leaned against the bookshelf, smiling shyly, as I described what went on with the flames and the mist and all that. And when I'd finished, she looked up at me. I think that water is supposed to represent emotion. Uh-huh. And that perhaps you might be ready to explore an emotional range beyond just being angry all the time? That sounds logical. At the L word, I could tell she had thought of James. I couldn't help doing so as well. With great effort, I pushed the connotations away and moved closer. She reached up and brushed a strand of my hair aside and gently pulled my hat off. Mm, there. You're less fierce now. Everything was quiet. Our lips were almost touching. That was when James walked in and we made our excuses. This was excruciating. Two terrible, matching, unbalanced moments. I had half a mind to bid Lucy stand and watch while I went back in there and locked lips with him just so there'd be some semblance of fairness. Instead, Lucy became commanding, and I dutifully followed. Wordlessly, she led me to the West Wing linen closet, opened the door, and beckoned me inside, closing us in and propping a broom against the handle. Do you know what you're doing? No, but I know I meant what I said. I do love you, Abigail Gray. And with that, she gently took my hands and stood close. We finally kissed with a deep sigh. And for the briefest of moments, I forgot everything else. And all was right with the world. You have been listening to episode 16 of Secret Rooms, Within, written and directed by Alexander Shaw. James Penrose, performed by Alex Shaw. Abigail Gray, performed by Sharon Shaw. Lucy Weatherfield, performed by Theo Lee. Reawakening and Ossuary, composed and performed by Kevin MacLeod of Incompetech.com. Make Your Decision, by Dan Phillipson of Shockwave Sound. Many soundscapes by Tabletop Audio. Our $15 patrons get sponsor credit every episode, so thank you too. Joel Robinson, Benjamin Biddle, Abel Savard, Michael Hasco, Angus Lee, Marty Huey, David Sheely, Kevin Vey, Daniel Salguero, Connor Kennedy, Brian Novak, Evan Jankowski, Sarah Montgomery, Dan Hepner, Johan Clayson, Tyler Long, Joga Seeger, Greg Downing, Tim Rosensky, Christopher Wolfe, Kat Esman, Cassandra Newman, Timothy Green, Matthew A. Siebert, Joseph Gluck, Nick Ord, Duran Barnett, Tom Painter, Finbar Nicole, Jameis Enright, Mark Luksh, Dan Mayer, Joe Crow, Chris Finnick, Toby Jungius,
Dave Hickman, Aaron Lecluse, Kieran Dashler, and Lorraine Chisholm. Just before we go, it is worth pointing out that the first book in Phase 2 of New Century has just been released, Uncivil Outlaw. And this is the first one that I am doing without the audio adaptation coming first. So that's Uncivil Outlaw, now available on Amazon, via the Kindle Store, or a beautiful paperback edition. And this one is a gripping, page-turning political thriller, but it's also filled with mayhem, action, and humour. So if you've read or listened up to Steamheart, this book is your next port of call. And if you've already read it, Uncivil Outlaw could do with a few reviews. 